Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged. In today's episode, Anita Grantham, Bamboo HR Head of HR, and Vanessa Brulot, Bamboo HR Human Resource Business Partner, discuss quiet hiring and what it means for HR leaders. By the end of the podcast, you will learn what it means to implement a quiet hiring practice at your company, how quiet hiring can help or hinder your business, who quiet hiring is for, and why it might not be for everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. We have a very exciting guest for today uh, for our episode of HR Unplugged. I'd like to welcome Kelsey Tarp, Senior Manager and HR Business Partner at Bamboo HR. I have the opportunity to work closely with Kelsey, and I have to say she's an incredible individual, full of expertise in the HR front, and a wonderful mentor for me. <laughs> so plug in there, and welcome, Kelsey. Can you give the audience a quick introduction? Sure. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. It's I was joking with Vanessa before we got started today. This feels very full circle because when I was a candidate considering Bamboo, I listened to all of these episodes and it was a really interesting way to get a pulse for how um, Bamboo thought about different HR topics and now being a guest is very exciting. But um, thank you so much for having me. Um, I joined in April and um, before my time here, I spent some time in HRVP roles at Amazon and Salesforce and Tableau, so supporting different kinds of clients. But um, one of the things that was really interesting to me was that I have a personal philosophy that people should do what only people should be doing. And so when I thought about Bamboo's mission to set people free to do great work, there's a lot of alignment there. And um, it's, it's really fun to just kind of onboard and learn a little bit more about how we bring that to life in our own organization. And I hope it's helpful for you all too. Um, a little bit about me, I'm based in Seattle. So right now I've been enjoying the summer weather that we earn all year through all the yucky rain. So um, it's been really, really nice. And um, I'm really looking forward to this, to this topic and discussion today. Well, I'm really happy for all of uh, my fellow Washingtonians up there that get their sunshine. <laughs> yes, soaking it in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we're so happy to have you here to join us today, Kelsey. In our prep call, there were some really great insights that I'm excited that for you and Anita to share with us today. So Anita, let's start with you. Help us kick off this discussion. What is quiet hiring? So I just I want to welcome Kelsey. I'm so glad you're here with us today. You have so much great knowledge for our community. So thank you and welcome. And I'm excited to talk about this topic about quiet hiring. Uh, there are about three different kinds that I'm going to walk us through just so we can level set since it's about 50% of our audience was a little bit unsure about this turn. So first, internal quiet hiring. What this means is that you ask somebody to temporarily take on a new project or a new role. So we've been talking a lot about exits and a lot of you said, well, exits work, but then what happens to the people that stay and have to take on all of that work? So something's happening um, because there's, you know, people are being upskilled. People want to take on more. Here's an example. Marketing research employees could help with a data science project for software developers. So you want want to be able to help somebody else out, another team that's struggling, maybe somebody's out on leave, or somebody wants to learn, honestly, right, as part of their career development. So that's one, internal quiet hiring. 
The second is external quiet hiring. This is probably the one I've seen most often where an organization hires short-term contractors to get work done quickly. Think about this, like a lot of us are developing content. You wanna go hire somebody that's an expert in X, Y, and Z to write blog articles or something for you. And so you're just being like, hey, I know that Kelsey can do this project for me. I'm gonna hire her as a third-party contractor and I'm just gonna get around um, you know, what I need to do to get this done really quickly. The priority there is like move and, and speed because you can't justify external, like additional full-time headcount. So you want to get this contractor on. And then the third one are full-time employees. You're hiring full-time employees without a full interview process that you would normally use. So this happens when you're like, I know that Vanessa can do this. I just started at new job X, Y, and Z. I'm not under a non-solicit. Vanessa's unhappy at current employer. I know she's got the skills. And so instead of running a big process, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of do a check the box process and get the and get Vanessa in to do the work. So just to summarize, internal, right? You're adding new responsibilities to an internal team member. You're externally hiring contractors to do the work. And then the third part is you're hiring externally for a full-time employee with a previous relationship somewhere and not running a full process. Those would be the three kinds of quiet hiring. When I think that's interesting, Anita, and sorry that I kind of got kicked out for a second there, but when I did some research on this topic, your first two points are the ones that many people tend to focus on. So it's interesting to see the different ways that we can interpret what quiet hiring is. And I love those three points that you brought up. Kelsey, anything else you'd like to add here? Yeah, I think it's an interesting opportunity for HR leaders to get really curious about like the durability of business needs, get a sense for are they long or short term, because that can help you understand whether or not it's the right tool or approach. Um, I know sometimes there are le leaders who think, uh, oh, gosh, I need someone to come in and work on this. And it actually is a short term assignment that might be a really good stretch project for someone that we wouldn't actually need a, a full time employee into duration for. So I think it's a really good opportunity to get curious and learn more about the business and think about it, the decision in the context of other business factors like revenue or customer health. And um, it's a really good opportunity to connect the dots between people's strategy and what's going on in the business. What I want to call out, one of the questions from, from Carrie in the chat is how do you ensure equitable and inclusive hiring with quiet hiring? And I think that we'll be touching on this a little bit later, unless any of you want to comment on that now. Yeah, we're excited to talk about this because that's why Kelsey and I are passionate about this topic and why we wanted to bring it to this community. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Kelsey, what would you add? No, I totally agree. I think I think the topic that's front of mind for all of us is ooh, it's a little bit at odds with some of the other things that we know are really important in running a healthy organization. And so um, I think it's we'll go deeper. But I'm glad it was top of mind for everybody. Well, let's talk about who quiet hiring is for and why it's not for everyone. Kelsey, let's start with you. Why are we seeing more quiet hiring right now? And why would you say it's not for everyone? Yeah, I think partially it's a little bit about the environment. There's something to do with supply and demand. I think there's an uncertain economic um factor and condition that makes businesses go, oof, I need to be really intentional about my spend and my resources. And that might mean we have a contractor to help cover, or we think really intentionally about whether or not responsibilities could be spread amongst internal team members already. Um, but some reasons it might not be great is if you are committed and, and have talked to the team about having fair and inclusive hiring practices, 
and you you aren't doing it consistently. So I think those are some reasons that can be really, really difficult. Um, I always talk to, to both leaders and HR teams about choosing our hard. We need to get really thoughtful about if we want to take the hard path of um, maybe you have a leader who's really dedicated or who has really, really bought into this idea of having a quick and efficient process that isn't necessarily what you would recommend as a best practice, or we need to choose the heart of the ripple effects it might have on the team if people are concerned that that the business isn't operating in a way that allows them to have career growth opportunities. The other thing, Kelsey, I've noticed, I don't know if this is true for you or not, I don't think leaders are doing it intentionally. I don't think they think about the second and third order consequences that we're calling out right here. So they're really just optimized for their current pain and they want us to help with that. And so then that's a great opportunity to say to the, you know, the HR team or have a conversation with leaders, if you're an HR team of one, to say, what are we committed to in hiring practices? Are they supposed to be consistent, fair, and equitable? You know, do we want to have a consistent process to ensure high quality talent for all team members? And, you know, this is a no judgment podcast. So by no means are we going to share with you like which way is better. We have ideas, but what we want on this podcast is for you to name it and claim it. If you want to do quiet hiring and that's your process, great. We want to outline the pros and cons of it. If you want to run a process, process for all hires, then let's talk about that too. And we're going to give you tips for both. Yeah. And I think we're especially talking about it in the context of a full-time employee, but we also know for contractor, for contract needs or things that are shorter term, different processes make sense for different situations. And I think we saw in that initial poll, people go, "Mm, maybe it depends on the situation. I think HR folks tend to live in that land of maybe, and it depends. And I think that's where we can really come alongside our leaders and add a lot of value as a thought partner to think through those extra consequences, especially if you're doing something that's different or doesn't quite align with um, the culture of your organization. Well, one of the things that you mentioned in your comment too, to that, to that question was it's not for people who are committed to that balanced and equitable process. And I know that that's something that's in the comments has been something that we, they want to, everyone wants to kind of dive into, which I know we'll get to, but it definitely seems like several cognitive biases could be introduced with this process. And I know that we'll go more into depth later on this topic, but Anita, what other thoughts do you have around this? Look, I, I, I've done both. I've done quiet hiring and I've done very, very robust processes. And so I think part of it is that first you have to understand, are you going to be reactive? You're going to hire people because they become available, right? So a lot of the code word for this is opportunity hire, right? You have a list of people, which I'm a fan of. Like I'm, I'm, I always have a list of people in the industry that I want to work with. And if at a time they became available, I would want to have a conversation. But that goes back to our key principles that in these roles, there's two things we do in all leadership roles. We recruit and we sell our product, right? So you're always recruiting, which means you have a target list of opportunity hires and you want to be, be aware of their availability. Now, I'm also really committed to my organizational design and strategy of what I want to achieve. And sometimes those don't line up. And so I think you have to be clear on what you're doing with that and how it fits into your strategy. The other piece is you could be proactive. You want to hire for open roles. It's tied to your org design and to your strategy, in which case you can look at internal candidates and external candidates equally, 
right? You want to want a full process because there's times where I've thought, oh, this internal person is going to be amazing. And then I run a full process and I end up picking somebody completely different because of what I learned through the process that actually meets my strategy and job description more clearly. And if there's one thing you take out of this, and I know it sounds elementary, but I still see people cutting corners on really thoughtful job descriptions, really understanding what the outcome of each role will be so the human in it can be successful. And when you do that, you will most definitely hire better talent. So I think it, it's just, if you hire the most talented person, you know, you may not be hiring the most talented person for the job. So I really want to encourage you to interview because all of our resources are tight, whether in good times or bad, we should be the model of disciplined action for resource allocation in our roles. And when you put three bold through a thoughtful process, you can have a really strong fair and square process that sets people up for being successful. And then you all also are known as the, as the leader that hires their friends because that doesn't work either. And it actually is a disservice to the person coming in. Well, there's, there's been some great examples here of why quiet hiring is not for everyone. I'm curious, Anita, are there scenarios that do make sense for quiet hiring? You know, I think generally, like we talked about earlier, businesses are unaware of the impact of quiet hiring. So they're doing it unintentionally and they don't understand that there can be a direct conflict to care about qualified candidates or care about meritocracy or bringing in a diverse slate of qualified candidates. But when we engage in quiet hiring, we we lock off all of those principles. That said, you know, quiet hiring is great for filling business gaps that you might not be able to fill with new hires. Sometimes internal qualification is more important for a certain role. Sometimes high performers that can be reassigned to other jobs in the organization because you want to retain them and allow them an opportunity to grow. So quiet hiring is happening all the time and it's, it's economy agnostic. Well, Kelsey, before we we dive into to your thoughts here, because I'm really interested on your your perspective on this one, is I want to kind of hit on some of the questions coming through in the chat. How how do you utilize bamboo for succession planning, leveraging internal talent? I think a really interesting opportunity is to use those performance and assessment um, features to really get a sense for how people are doing in a way that gets cross functional views and perspectives. And I think there's also a way to really think about how you can use the reporting module to think through who has had uh, like a dwell time in their job that maybe is longer than their peers, who has had a really strong track record of performance that could be considered for something more. Um, those are some helpful diagnostics, I think. But ultimately, I would go back to Anita's point, too, about like job descriptions really matter and success criteria really matter. What are we trying to optimize for when we're thinking about some of these new opportunities that some of our team members might be well suited for? And where do you see the business heading in 12 to 18 months, even longer term? Um, and I think when we start asking some of those questions, we think about the business needs in a way that we also shape the candidate profile. Um, that would allow us to consider either internal folks that might be ready or, or be, be ready to be given a stretch assignment they could be really successful at. Or um, we think about maybe we need to go to market and have an intentional external search. But I think both of those things can be ways that you can really come alongside the leaders and think through what is the right move for us to make. That might not be their first, their first gut reaction, which could be a quiet hiring motion. Any thoughts there? Well, yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I get really torn about this because you know, when I've opened up and created internal processes where it's like we have this rule, we want to hire internally, 
We run a thoughtful process for internal candidates. And then you have, you know, five qualified internal candidates apply, only one opening. You have four that have just built a resume, gone through an interview process, and immediately they put themselves out on the open market. So, you know, you have to think through what happens to those other four and what are you going to do intentionally keep them? So I've actually spun up turnover of high-performing team members by running a qualified process, right? That's, that's like something you have to be really thoughtful of. On the flip side, if I shoulder tap somebody and put them in a role, I get four other people that are like, well, if I'd known that role was open, I would have applied for it. So like to this great question is that seems like this practice can be subject to so much favoritism or bias. How do you suggest we overcome it? I think you really have to be thoughtful again, what Kelsey said, what's the job descriptions? What's the role criteria for success? What possible internal candidates? Or I love just to post it internally and see who applies. And, and really look at that list and have conversations with them. It's a great opportunity to kind of develop career. And, and I always think when I go through an interview process, I learn, right? I think that's a development process in itself. You just have to find a way to keep them. And you may also be able to say, hey, we have to go external because we feel like we need to buy this talent instead of build it, right? So we've talked about this a little bit before. Do you have a build or buy strategy for this role? And it's separate than from the humans. Like we have jobs at Bamboo that nobody internally is qualified to do right now. We could grow them into it. And then there's a cost for that. Or you could go buy the talent and there's a cost for that because it's an unknown quantity. So I think a big robust discussion around the team that's really interviewing along with the adjacent teams that will interact is a great way to get clear on which strategy you're going to run to make sure it meets the principles of your values in your organization. One thing I would just build on that Anita mentioned too is um, when you have the, you know, the five candidates that go through for one slot and, and four aren't going to be chosen, what we do after that decision is made has a huge impact on whether or not they're they're interested in staying. And I've unfortunately seen so many times where communication was missed and maybe they found out from an announcement that this other person was moving into the job that they didn't get it. And sometimes those things are so preventable, but if we're not really, really careful and intentional about the follow-up comms after the decision has been made, it can also have unintentional consequences that are preventable in a lot of ways. So that's another thing I just recommend that you work with hiring managers and recruiting on just to make sure we're really clear on what's that experience after after the decision has been made and how are we giving that person helpful feedback about how they can still grow their career and what they learned from the process. I love that. And, and to kind of go off of, of this too, there's a comment in the in the a comment in the comment section. <laughs> Whether quiet hiring or traditional thoughtful hiring, there will always be some level of subjectivity and bias. However, when it comes to uh, quiet hiring. I think it's most important to be transparent and let team members know that we have a project that we still that we need to fulfill, and we need people with certain skills to fill the role. Let the internal team members raise their hands to participate, or you need to bring in a contractor freelance. Let the team know why you are bringing in additional team members for a short period of time versus hiring a full time employee. And kind of based on what everybody's saying, it's like setting those clear expectations, having a plan, and having really solid communication is super important. Well, well, before we kind of wrap up the, you know, our second section in talking about if quiet hiring is the is the right choice, Kelsey, what are your your thoughts to kind of wrap us up there? 
I think one of the things I would underscore from the conversation thus far is the importance of being really intentional and thoughtful. Um, and so often leaders come with, ooh, like I've got someone who's available to a neatest point, maybe like it's on their list of someone they'd love to work with, or um, there is a, a business need that all of a sudden became really pressing. But I think there's a great opportunity to pause between when you have that request and how we think about responding in a way that makes sense for your culture, um, but also aligns to the, the values or um, approaches that you know makes sense makes sense for your organization. So I would just underscore the importance of being an intentional and thoughtful and, and also flexible. Like sometimes this, this approach really does make sense, but um, I think making an on-purpose decision is better than a, oh no, we're we're kind of needing to scramble or, or, or react to how a leader wants to approach something. It also isn't a good show for us as HR professionals. And this has happened to me before, right? Where it's like, hey, I wanted to apply for that role. Why didn't you post it? I really felt like we are committed to inclusive hiring practices where we wanted a diversified slate of qualified candidates. Why didn't we post it, right? And so I just want to make sure our job, you all are heroes out there, and we want to help you be successful. So I think it's important for our own brand inside the organization. It's our job to be asking these questions. And again, it needs to come up as part of your organizational strategy conversation. It needs to happen before there's a pain. Right. So the way you get ahead of it is like, talk to me about your list of opportunity hires. Let me know really what roles you're hiring for in the next two quarters. Right. Let me know what people in your organization are ready for their next job. When you have all of those things proactively done, that allows you to get ahead and be in the proactive spot versus the reactive spot. Well, before we hop into the pros of quiet hiring, I have a fun scenario that came up in the comments section that I think would be super fun. And Kelsey, I'd love to direct us at you first, is how do you handle the situation when an internal team member is a great candidate, but you already have an external referral from a higher up who is also great? How would you handle that type of scenario? Well, in many ways, not a terrible situation to be in, right? Like you've got some really, really strong options, but I would go back to what are the needs of the role? And there may be a reason that an internal candidate is better suited. Perhaps they have better knowledge of systems and other things, um, but there also might be a reason an external candidate is better suited. Perhaps they have an external perspective or um, they have experience that an internal candidate doesn't have. So it all comes back to what does success look like in that job? And how are we measuring whether or not a candidate's going to be successful? Um, I, I would hope, and, and maybe this isn't the case, but I would hope um, a senior leader in the organization who's bringing a referral is wanting to make sure that we're hiring the best talent for an opportunity on the team. And I think whether or not you choose an internal external candidate, um, if you can get really clear on these are the reasons that we, these are the things that we look for in the process. This is this is how we um, determined who was going to be the strongest candidate. And this is what we might do to keep your referral warm or think about them for future opportunities if there is an opportunity that makes sense for them, assuming you go with the internal candidate. I think there's a lot of ways there to win credibility and trust with the business. Um, but I, th I think it really depends on the situation. But I would go back to what we talked about originally with um, making sure we're really clear about the job, descri job description and success criteria. I think that can make a really big difference in, in showing how we got to it, an outcome or a decision. But I would hate to put an internal candidate through a process that isn't likely to, to be beneficial for their, their career growth or development. And we want to make sure that the processes that they're going through are, are balanced and, and are um, in support of getting the right candidate for the role. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think it's so true. And we're seeing it late and all through the chat here. You know, sometimes companies look for external candidates for new ideas, fresh outlook on the business and how to remain competitive. But sometimes, you know, that they are they an add to the culture? Are they a pleasure to work with? Are they somebody that's going to be collaborative throughout the team? Um, you know, or too often interims are those who step up and never see the financial compensation for filling that gap. That is a big problem. I'm not a big fan of interim positions, um, you know, especially if you're just looking to fill a gap and hire over somebody. Um, you know, I think that can create a lot of problems. So I just, I think there's, it's it's a challenge and you definitely want to think through all second and third order consequences from the initial decision that seems good at the time. I'm a big fan of like, let's sleep on it and come back and talk about all the things that could go wrong with this possible approach. Well, let's jump into the pros of quiet hiring and the impact of, of it. What do we know about retention and engagement with quiet hiring? Anita? So there's several benefits to quiet hiring, depending on how you do it. One, like we've talked about, it can give existing team members opportunities. Two, it can create optionality for promotions and salary increases for team members, which we know they all want more of, which is great. And three, it can offer existing team members ways to keep them engaged. So these are definite benefits. And so again, this would come out of your strategy. You'd wanna look at your org design and you would wanna say, hey, these are the roles that I wanna build for. And so when there are qualified candidates that have the competency criteria that I could build them into this role, I'm willing to dedicate the time for them to be successful. Then you could move them in and then it can be useful. And then you can share this philosophy with your whole org. Hey, I'm only going to hire internally. I'm going to look for candidates this way. My intention is to really grow existing talent and you can still be transparent and up and up about it. And everything you're mentioning kind of goes back to that comment of you have to have, it really matters that you have right expectations and clear communication. Always. Yeah. Well, let's dive into a few more advantages of quiet hiring. Kelsey, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Sure. I think the opportunity for stretch assignments and the ability for someone to try on a job a little bit um, can go a really long way. I know early in my career, trying on different parts of, of the HR world was really helpful for me to be like, okay, I like this part. I'm glad I have experience in this part, but maybe it's not for me. Um, and I think the more that we can get people developmental experiences like that, where they can try something on, especially if it's an interim assignment and get a sense for like, okay, what does being successful look like in this job? Um, I think that can be really, really advantageous. And sometimes there's people who maybe want to consider a career path in management, but they haven't ever managed folks before. Maybe they can take an interim role as a team lead and have some sort of like light managerial duties, again, to try on those kinds of responsibilities and see if that's really the way they want their career path to go. Um, I know so often people, once they get some of those experiences go great, like this is, this is what I thought it would be. And like, I really like this. I want more, but often too, they go, you know, this might not be for me. And I think that's just as, as valuable as a learning. And so um, I think the stretch assignments and some of those ways that people can show up in an interim capacity can be really, really helpful for them to, to remain dedicated to your organization and show that people are having an opportunity to learn and grow. I, I started laughing to myself with the one comment of somebody like maybe shadowing, figuring out like, like with a people leader role and realizing, oh, people leading is actually quite difficult. <laughs> Some people just don't realize that. Um, so Anita, what, what do you see as the pros to quiet hiring? 
look, it's fast, it's efficient, right? Like I have a bias towards speed. And so sometimes I, I, I get biased towards that. It's a great way to transfer knowledge. It's a great way to fill skills gaps without hiring additional FTEs. You can leverage internal talent instead of waiting to backfill a role. It can help people like we talked about trying new responsibilities and experiment with what they like to do, kind of like a, a tour of duty. We've done that a lot in Bamboo. It's been, it's been super successful because I think knowing what you hate is just as much as important as knowing what you love. But here are some statistics to help you identify top talent and top performers in your organization that could be eligible for roles like this, right? 39% of workers said they would not quit if they were quiet hired and view quiet hiring as an opportunity to spread their wings. 63% of team members view quiet hiring as an opportunity to try out that new role and gain skills. And 19% said they wouldn't quit if, quiet, if they were quietly hired as long as the new role was temporary. So I think there's enough data that kind of backs a strategy for certain roles that could be that could be available for this in some format. Well, there's a there's a question I'd like to to direct at you, Anita, from Jacob in the comment section is what is a good practice for compensating and or recognition for temporary role coverage by coworkers and managers of a resigned employee while you're finding the right replacement? Yeah, so I think there's a few things. Um, there's a few things I've done. I've had a an opportunity when we've had an absent executive. So you take two people to fill the role. So this was a finance example. We didn't have a CFO at the time. We took the head of financial planning um, and FP&A. What's my last A? Financial planning and what's the A? Analysis. Analysis, thank you. FPA. And then we took the head of accounting and we said, together, you are the CFO. We're going to elevate both of you and you're going to sit on the executive team. You're going to report to the CEO. And they were in role for probably nine to 12 months before we hired a CFO. And in that case, they both got additional um, opportunities and equity. Um, and they both got spot bonuses and like really thoughtful handwritten notes from the CEO. And then so that was like kind of the financial monetary side. But the development side is they built relationships with board members. They really got to expand and their level of autonomy and scope and ability to influence across the organization. They're both sitting CFOs today. And I think that opportunity gave a lot of that um, ability for them to grow. And it was amazing to see. So I do think it depends on one, how long will they be sitting in the role? How critical is the role to the organization? How effective are they in that job? So I don't like to promise anything out of the gate. I like to see how it goes. And depending on how it goes, then I like to be thoughtful about how we can apply it and then just make sure that you're applying those rewards consistently to other people taking on those roles. Any other thoughts on that, Kelsey? I would echo the consistency part. I think that can be really difficult and thinking through, okay, like that that example of a nine to 12 month coverage is really different than someone covering for a four week leave of absence, right? As like maybe an interim team lead, but getting really clear about how you want to approach it, your, approach it at your organization and also making sure you have ways to ensure that uh, managers are notifying you or you have notifications built in, in Bamboo to help you get a good sense for when these responsibility shifts might be happening. I think those are really important ways to make sure whatever your approach is, is consistent because um, that's going to make a really big difference too in people being willing and interested in signing up for those roles. They're going to have a sense of procedural fairness and how they'll be treated. 
you know, one idea to your point, Kelsey, because I completely agree with you on those leave of absent coverages. So it might be two, four, six, eight, 12 weeks. I love to have a quarterly spot bonus available pool. And so that way you could kind of say, hey, who are all the people that offered coverage this quarter? Um, and you could define it by level in the organization and say anybody that's at this level for this amount of time gets this spot bonus for this coverage if they did well by, you know, you know, meeting the needs of their current job while also meeting the needs of their expanded role. So I think there's ways that you can programatize it so it doesn't seem discriminatory and you can get to that consistency lens. When I like that too, Anita, because it helps with retention of feeling like, oh, I'm valued for the the extra work and the the time that I put in and I'm valued for that. Exactly, exactly. And then you're also making it part of, that's why proactive development planning is so important. When you know somebody has an interest in this and you have somebody going out with a leave of absence for that, you can match together and give them that chance because you really don't want to miss that opportunity uh, to grow your team members with these leaves of absence for sure. The great example here, we have mentorship roles where people go on leaves and they apply and they're considered to try out the role. When the LOA is over, they go back to doing their previous position. So that's a great, a great practice. So thank you, Susan, for sharing that. All right, well, let's talk about the cons of quiet hiring. Kelsey, I know that we've mentioned a few of the cons previously in this discussion of quiet hiring, but could you walk us through what the cons are? I think one that we've talked about a little bit, but it's good to go deeper on is when you have someone filling in an interim role, oftentimes that means they're doing their day-to-day -day work plus these extra responsibilities. So that can sometimes mean double work or a lack of recognition that they might need to trade off other current assignments to other team members. Um, I think the time horizon really makes a difference, right? It's one thing to do that for two weeks. It's really different to do that for 12 months. And so getting really clear with the person around um, how long do we expect these assignments to happen? Um, what does success look like? And, and really making sure we're creating a work environment for somebody that's sustainable for them to deliver. Um, another one I think about is, is whether or not employees would feel comfortable advocating for themselves. So they might be concerned, especially in this broader economic environment, like, gosh, if I speak up that maybe this isn't sustainable, does that mean that I'm potentially at risk or I could be viewed as, as someone who's not willing to contribute and, and help the team out? So making sure there's a safety net for people to learn and grow and also talk openly about how things are going, I think is really important. Um, and there's also a possibility in this environment that again, when they're asked to take on an interim role or asked to step up, um, they might not feel like they have the ability to decline that opportunity. Um, and so really thinking about how do we make it so we have the developmental rewards that we've talked about. Maybe they have the opportunity to try it on and see how things go, but also they, they have the ability to say, Oof, I'm not sure if this is for me, or they can raise their hand if they feel like the, the workload isn't sustainable. Um, another one we talked about that I think really matters that I just reiterate again is whether or not we have clear success metrics. So we talked about the importance of a job description and having really clear success metrics for the role. I think the same really matters for an interim um, position. Of course, if someone is in a big stretch assignment, we probably wouldn't expect the same outcomes as we would from someone who's very experienced and senior in this type of position. But how do we communicate those success metrics to someone? And how does someone know that they're delivering the kind of value that was expected out of this interim role? And I think that can help us make sure it's having the impact that we we're hoping for. Um, some of the other things that have come up in the chat too. So it's potentially not a long-term solution. You might have um, some, some of these moves that make sense, but if that's one of the only uh, tools in your toolbox that likely wouldn't be 
um, a, a great long-term solve for your organization's org design and, and long-term business needs. Um, and we've talked about this again with um, potential bias and favoritism that can creep in, um, especially if someone's not in that network of people who are well-known for potential opportunities. And um, I think there's things like affinity bias where someone says, oh, this person's, you know, just like this person, they, they would do great. Um, there's a lot of opportunities too for things to go sideways and, and not promote an equitable environment. I like one of the the points that you had made about the yeah. safety net and yeah. that that conversation of you know being open about how things are going because yeah. you're right with that economic climate there is that fear is so real that oh my goodness well if I am open about it, it actually isn't working out for me I don't have a spot anymore and mm-hmm. yeah and it's, so I don't know if you have anything to add right there but um, I don't know if you have any comments on that couple of stats that I think are relevant. So about a slightly more than a quarter of workers, 27%, so that they would consider quitting if they were quiet hired. Oof, that's not what we, like, those are some of the cons we haven't talked about. Um, and 4% would leave immediately. So I think that's some, that's a watch out that I think is useful for us to keep in mind. Not everyone will view those opportunities the same way. And then 15% of workers um, would quit if they were quiet hired only because they felt like their hands are tied. And so that really goes back to some of those watchouts we just talked about with respect to a safety net and really talking about whether or not that workload is sustainable. Well, Anita, uh, what do you have to add here on like the, the cons of quiet hiring? Look, it can feel inauthentic. It can feel discriminatory and bias driven. Um, you can disengage hiring managers, people in the interview loop and candidates. So it is definitely risky, especially if you are unintentional and not really realizing what you're jumping into. And look, in this environment, people are not often going to say something. They'll see it, but they won't say it. This is Kelsey's term. If you see something, say something, and I love it. And we want people to be able to feel that they can do it. And I think this type of scenario shuts that down because it's touchy. So I think it creates a lack of diversity. I think it creates missed opportunities. I actually, um, you know, and this is true. And I've got a personal story because I always share with you the the worst mistakes I've ever made here. It's like confession for Anita on HR Unplugged. But, you know, you too readily rely on women and minorities. Like we know statistically compared with men at their their level, women leaders do more to support employee well-being and foster DNI work that dramatically improves retention and employee satisfaction, but it's not formally rewarded by team members. And so my story is that I had a black female leader who worked across um, four different peers. She often took on additional work um, all over her peers. We went through an economic downturn and stopped promotions and stopped merit and market cycles. And in that time we had somebody and she was underpaid relative to her peers. So she's doing more. She's a minority underpaid. And I have no way to fix it for her because we had programmatically stopped everything. Since then, it's been cleaned up in the organization. She's been well promoted. She's very deserving, very capable, but it was a killer for me. And I recognized that the leader didn't recognize what she was doing unintentionally. She was also a female leader. She was taking on more than her peers. She was perpetuating that cycle without awareness And we got ourselves into a pickle and we were just very transparent and had conversations and worked how we were going to get through it. And it was very difficult. And I I just think that it's those types of things that can really get you in, in hot water and you don't intend to be there, but it can create very tough feelings for people that 
it just doesn't have to be that way. And it can affect the culture. It leads to poor external glass door reviews and other things. So I think you have to be really careful and really aware. You know, you sacrifice not getting the best person in the job because they live outside your network, right? Like we've seen referral hiring is, is good, but you're hiring more of the same people. And if you spend a little bit more time and leverage other people's networks to fill the role, you can get a a better candidate. I don't think you'll get them just as fast. I think you're going to have to spend some time, but I think you can get a great qualified candidate. Well, there's there's been an interesting trend in some of the comments that leading up to this too, that I thought was this kind of the perfect moment to bring up this question. Somebody asked, is anyone else having difficulty finding qualified people or people who want to work, period, externally right now? And somebody else commented that they're experiencing a lot more no-shows uh, right now and and finding that that workforce and any any uh, advice there that either of you would give? I think we have to change, especially for some of the hourly entry level roles. I think we have to be open to completely framing it differently. And I just feel I put the statistics that Kelsey mentioned, Patricia, up in the chat a little bit. So you just scroll up a little bit. You'll see them there. But I think we have to be open to really rethinking and going through that exit data and that no-show data. Like if somebody no-shows on me, I call them and I said, tell me why. Tell me why you no-showed. Um, you know, there's a great book that talks about it's called the dream manager and they do an actual case study about a company that cleans offices. So janitorial work um, when offices are closed, this was in the old days when we were all back in the office. And so they would have to go clean offices, you know, from 5 PM till 8 AM. And they had a ton of no-shows and a ton of challenges getting, you know, qualified people to work. The reason was, is because late at night, there's not reliable transportation. They couldn't physically get to work. And so I would encourage you to find out the core problem that you need to solve and why they're not showing up, because sometimes it may not be obvious. And so do the double click, do the phone calls and really figure out, you know, what is the reason for the no show? I would build on that. I think sometimes there's a, a root cause that's definitely worth exploring further. Um, but sometimes we also have perceptions about like a certain kind of talent or a certain kind of workforce. So I think it's getting really clear about the data and the facts that will help you understand what you might need to do differently. Um, I actually had a similar experience at another organization as, as to what Anita had described with respect to just our office was really, really difficult to get to via public transportation, which was a way that a lot of um, the team members in that particular kind of role were, were commuting to work. And when they were coming in for their interviews and they had like a misconnection because it required so many transfers of buses, um, a lot of them just said like it was too hard and it's not worth it for how far I had to go. That's really valuable information. And I think those are things that can help you think through how do I solve this problem holistically. Well, Kelsey, let's let's dive into best practices here as we wrap up this conversation. So if our audience members find themselves in a situation where quiet hiring is the right choice, what are the best practices they should follow? What kind of advice do you have? I think communication is really important. We talked earlier in the session about being really clear about the why. Um, so making sure we're clear about what's going on, why might someone need to step up? 
Um, but also thinking about skill sets and success criteria. We want to make sure someone is set up to be successful, especially if they're having like an interim leadership role or, or they're doing something that's expected to add more value for the organization. Um, an interesting stat is that a monster survey conducted in January 2023, so fairly recent, said that 80% of workers polled have been quiet hired and half of them say their new role wasn't aligned with their skill set. So um, I think there's always sometimes surprises when someone's in a new role, but 80% saying, gosh, like this actually isn't aligned with my skill set tells us that we have more fact finding to do and getting really clear about that job description and success criteria. Um, again, if someone's in an interim role, I think being really clear about how long you expect the assignment to last, and then also being clear about pay increases or no pay changes, and again, the philosophy on why and what the person's expected to develop or grow um, in terms of their skill set or responsibilities as a result of this assignment. Well, thank you, Anita and Kelsey. This was such a great conversation. I know a lot of people in the chat really appreciated this topic. And I know I learned so much from the two of you. Before we wrap up, let's open up the conversation to the audience. There were, I, we have time for just a, like one, maybe two questions. Anita, did you have a, com a question that you wanted to answer? Yeah, I saw earlier in the chat um, that there was a question about the example I gave about the FP&A leader and the accounting leader filling the role of CFO. And how did I know that those two would work together? So I didn't know. All right. You never know how it's going to work. But what you can do is you can create intentionality. Like you can say, hey, you know that these two roles are the full role of the CFO plus executive management responsibilities and board responsibilities that we would help cover through the rest of the executive team. We shared with them their ability to grow. We shared how we were going to mentor. So I took on extra one-on-ones with them. Our CEO took on extra one-on-ones with them. We did more. We actually did mentoring with our board. It was one of the most successful programs. I've ever run where you partner board members with high, high potential talent. And so they were able to get direct board feedback and mentorship that really was game changing for them. But look, it might not have worked, right? We got really lucky, but a lot of it was the infrastructure. Like Kelsey talked about, we were clear that the new role was going to last a minute. We knew that they'd have to be part of the hiring process for the new leader. They both knew that they were going to have a new boss, right? But they also knew that they were going to get all these benefits in their career because they said, hey, eventually I want to be a CFO. I want to own the whole role. So that was a directly attributed to their own development plan. So it was worth it for them. We didn't say they were going to get paid more. We never shared they were going to get any spot bonuses or additional equity for their roles, right? We didn't do that because you've got to be sure that the intentions are right. And these, and especially in a situation like this, you need people that really want to do it and really want to grow for the right reasons for the best of the organization. Um, and so, so that's how it worked out. But that's that's a unique situation. And, and it worked out well, but I think part of it is intentionality and clarity. Well, one last question is, where do you draw the line between the startup notion and expectation of wearing different hats and quiet hiring? It's a tricky one. Um, I, I, think, I think the answer is, and it depends. Um, but I would really think about the criticality of that role. I would think about the extent to which the responsibilities overlap with other parts of the organization. And I again, we get really clear about what do you need and how are you going to measure success? Um, I think there's a lot of benefits to people wearing multiple hats, but then as a company grows and evolves, there's also benefits to getting more crisp about responsibilities and delineation of functions. Um, so I think it depends a little bit about where your, your organization is in terms of maturity and also where you're headed in that time horizon for that. Sometimes people wearing multiple hats for longer makes sense um, if your, your growth is not as quick, but if you're expecting the growth to be really, really quick, 
perhaps a different approach makes sense. So I think the business context matters, but um, I would really go back to getting really clear about the needs and the success criteria for a role. Anita, what do you think? Yeah, just because you're a startup doesn't excuse you from running thoughtful processes. I mm-hmm. talk to startup leaders all the time and they're like, well, do I need a comp philosophy or do I need this? Yes, you do. I literally, when I went into a company that was growing from startup to maturity, after six years of being there, I still could not clean up the bad habits from poor decisions made during startup phase. So you have to recognize that those startup behaviors and habits create your philosophies that stick with you a really long time. And so look, like if you want to have people wear multiple hats and you want to do quiet hiring, just say, this is how we're going to run it. Right. And then you're going to have to rip that bandaid when you get to sale and you decide that you're committed to other things that might be more important to you at that phase and stage. That's okay. I just want you to be really clear about what you're doing and the pros and cons and what you're not doing and the pros and cons and make sure that everybody's signing up for that. And from that place, you can run. But I do not, uh, you can tell I have some energy around this. I do not like the excuse that we are a startup and we get to do all things willy-nilly and Wild West. Unless you say, hey, we're a startup and we do things Wild West and you don't know what you're going to get and it's going to be a great fun ride. So sign up. I like, I can hire and train to that all day if I know that's what we're doing. But I just want it to be fully said, transparent around what we're doing and what we're not doing. Rant over. (laughs) this was fantastic (laughs) well thank you both again so much Anita do you want to wrap us up with the three takeaways well first I just want to thank my amazing co-hosts boy being Kelsey and Vanessa I just love the conversation so thank you for being here and driving all this value to all of our heroes in the community I just want to get to our three takeaways you signed up for this webinar for three reasons you wanted to get clear on the pros and cons for quiet hiring I think we dissected both sides so happy to answer any questions in the follow-up or in the slack if quiet hiring is the right option to you communicate clear expectations please refer to the last two minutes of the rant and when possible use an interview pool outside your network to make sure you have the right candidate. We're going to have a guest speaker coming up here in the fall that's an expert on expanding your network. So that will be coming up because I'm really passionate about this. So I really am excited about these three takeaways. And thank you for joining us, heroes. We'll be back at the same time, July 27th, for the next episode, Tips and Tricks for Small HR Teams. We invite you to visit us at hrunplugged.com. And please subscribe to our series, share your feedback, and then you can also follow up on the latest episodes in your favorite on-demand format. Please subscribe. Please leave us a review. We're craving feedback. We love it all. So please let us know what you'd like to hear more of next time. Thanks again, Kelsey and Vanessa. Thanks to all of you. You're doing great work out there for all of our people, making great places to work everywhere around the world. We're grateful for all that you do and have a super day wherever you are. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambu HR. Visit us at bambuhr.com slash HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work. 